You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome to another edition of the Prologue on America's Web Radio. This is a weekly program bringing you introductions to writers and books you may not be familiar with yet. Now, my name is Doug Dahlgren. I'll be your host. I'm an author myself. I write fiction. You can find uh, <clears throat> information about my work on Amazon, on Books A Million, and Barnes & Noble online sites. And you can go to my website, DougDahlgren.com, and find out just about anything you want to know about the books there. Now, we call this show the prologue because that's just what it is. And while our introductions are mainly for writers, we love to bring you interesting people that just have a good story to tell. They may be from other fields or other endeavors, but we'd love to hear from them. So if you or anybody you know has that book or interesting story that just needs to be told, please have them reach out to me through email. There's two ways you can do that, Doug at AmericasWebRadio.com or Doug at DougDahlgren.com. Love to speak with you or them about being on a future program. Now, our guest today brings us a very serious topic with a book that he is very qualified to bring to us. He's an attorney since 1961. Our guest this hour served as deputy prosecutor for nearly eight years and then was an elected prosecuting attorney for 25 years. That tenure took six reelections to achieve, so he was quite good at his job. Besides numerous criminal hearings, he tried three death penalty cases as well as appeals to both the Washington State Supreme Court and the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Now, he is the past president of the Washington Association of Prosecuting Attorneys and was a member of the task force that wrote criminal rules for superior courts in the state of Washington. Twice he was appointed to sentencing guideline committees responsible for sentence structure for felons in Washington Superior Court. He's now retired. Our guest lives in Spokane with his wife. They have four surviving children, 13 grandchildren, and nine great-grandchildren. Our guest used his knowledge and experience to write a book that was published just this past year. The subject is the United States Supreme Court and rulings that violate and possibly jeopardize the Constitution itself, and he backs that assertion up. Now, before I bring him on, please let me recognize two special groups of listeners that we're very proud to have here on America's Web Radio. First, again, is our armed services people all around the world working hard to keep us back home safe so we can live the lives that we so often take for granted. Now, freedom isn't free. It's bought and paid for daily by those men and women in uniform, and we thank each of them for that. Also want to remember our first responders who are here at home. They take a lot of grief lately. That's those police, fire, and EMT personnel. You know, the ones that come running to your aid. They don't know you, but they come when you need them. Thank them so much for being there and for what they do. Now, my guest this hour always wanted to write a book about the criminal justice system. After serving as a prosecutor for over 33 years and seeing the effects high court rulings have had, he realized a much more important subject needed to be written about. His book is titled, The Tyrannical Rule of the U.S. Supreme Court, 
subtitled, How the Court Has Violated the Constitution. And this is your prologue. The U.S. Constitution was written to protect us all. It is not a guideline, nor is it a suggestion. It is not, as some have tried to declare, a living document subject to interpretation to fit current trends or desires, although words and phrases have been invented to attempt to do just that. Phrases like a right to privacy and a right to dignity are fairly well entrenched in our thinking today, while they have no foundation in the Constitution itself. If not challenged, this trend may soon be joined by the right to not be offended or the right to a standard of living. And we all know that that's where we're headed. Our author looks at cases and decisions that have literally changed the meaning of this, our most important document, the Constitution. Is the position of the court being abused by people who wish to write law as opposed to what their oath demands of them to protect and defend the Constitution? The book is The Tyrannical Rule of the U.S. Supreme Court, How the Court Has Violated the Constitution. The author, Donald C. Brockett, is with us this hour. Welcome to the prologue, sir. How are you doing this morning? I'm just fine. How are you, Doug? Good, good, good. Now, the opinions that you express in this book are, are, let's just call them controversial. Uh, Not to me, but I'm sure a lot of our listeners may uh, have their ears perked up wanting to hear what we've got to say. Uh, These opinions should not be controversial, but our courts today are very polarized and politicized so that people often listen to simply what they already believe. Now, your qualifications and experience to talk about this go well beyond what I've mentioned in this little introduction. Would you kind of go into a little more detail about yourself and your career in law? Well, I started in the prosecutor's office, as you indicated, and served eight years as a deputy and then was elected uh, as the prosecutor, serving for a period of 25 years. I retired temporarily because I got cancer, and um, uh, I'm a survivor of that, obviously, and uh, went into private practice to help a law firm and stayed there for seven years and then re-retired, so to speak. After I retired, uh, my thinking was there's something that needs to be told to the American people, and uh, I, I thought it was interesting when you said you thought the title of my book or the content of my book was uh, was controversial because uh, as a lawyer, what I'd like to present to people is that it's challenging. It's meant to start a conversation about whether the Supreme Court has really served us in the manner in which our founders intended when they formed this government of ours. Our government, of course, is totally different than any other in the world, and it was uh, formed by people who came out of a situation in which they were subject to a king. They saw other governments throughout the world at the time that were subject to, uh, you know, people who were tyrants, controlled their their lives totally, and their purpose was to have people us control ourselves and to get government out of the way. So they drafted a document, and lawyers think documents are very important, 
think you've heard the phrase where lawyers will tell people to document, document, document something. For example, if you're in an accident, so that you can remember later what it was, in fact, that you suffered in terms of the injuries and the, the feelings. They drafted this document, and it wasn't meant to be easily changed, which is why they put in Article 5 for the amendment. And as we know, it's been amended several times. Well, my book presents to the public the fact that the document has been, in effect, amended by the court itself in its interpretations. As you pointed out before, you can look that document over word for word and you will not find a right of privacy. You will not find a right of dignity. As one of the justices said recently in the same-sex marriage case, the government doesn't give us dignity. We have dignity within ourselves. And the government, uh, we are protected basically from the government by this document. Now, attorneys, particularly trial attorneys, tend to be very deliberate and thoughtful, and by that I mean they don't react suddenly to something. Was there a particular case or perhaps a series of decisions that stirred and prompted you to write this book? Well, there were a couple of Supreme Court decisions. Uh, one of them uh, people may know about. Uh, it's called Kelo versus the city of New London, Connecticut, in which the court ruled that it was appropriate under the clause that allows the government to take your property for, quote, public use, end quote, allowed the government to take uh, property of people in an area that was not blighted. The government, uh, city government simply wanted to develop a hotel and uh, other facilities in that area. Those people sued and said, you can't take our property for that purpose. It's not a public use. The Supreme Court surprisingly said, yes, it was a public use because the government said it was. That's totally ridiculous and totally in contravention to the principles established by the people who formed the Constitution itself. The government can't just say something and have it be true. Uh, another of the cases that were was uh, important to me was the case called Six Unnamed Agents of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics in which a man sued the federal government for damages that resulted from a search and seizure of him in his home. Now, as some may not know, Congress has never passed enabling legislation that carries into effect a search and seizure provision in the Constitution. So there should have been no basis on which that lawsuit could be filed. The Supreme Court, however, created cause of action by saying, well, if the Constitution says there shouldn't be a, an illegal search and seizure, there has to be a remedy for it, so we will create one and allow the person to sue. Now, I think that causes us to look at the U.S. Supreme Court and say this has to be the most dangerous branch of government we could possibly have. We cannot overrule it because its decisions are final. Congress doesn't seem to want to do anything about it, even though the founders 
that writers of the Constitution suggested that impeachment would be appropriate for the third branch of government if in its desire to, quote, check and balance, end quote, it went too far. So there are checks and balances. And by the way, one of them, which people don't think about uh, often, is uh, what arm is there of enforcement for the United States Supreme Court? There isn't any. The Department of Justice is under the President of the United States, which is a separate branch of government. And the President does not have to carry out the uh, decisions of the Supreme Court if he or she doesn't want to. And that's happened a couple of times in the history of our country, where uh, a president decided not to do it and said, if the justice of the Supreme Court who wrote the opinion wants to support his judgment, let him do it. So Folks, we're listening. I'm sorry. I need to I need to cut in on you. We'll be back in just a couple of seconds here. We're listening this morning to Donald C. Brockett. His very interesting book is titled The Tyrannical Rule of the U.S. Supreme Court, How the Court Has Violated the Constitution. My name's Doug Dahlgren. We're going to be back after these short messages. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare. Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to the prologue. My name's Doug Dahlgren. We're here this morning with Donald C. Brockett. He's a retired attorney from Spokane, Washington. Many years' experience has led him to write a book, The Tyrannical Rule of the U.S. Supreme Court and How the Court Has Violated Our Constitution. 
actually the correct title is The Constitution, but you get my drift. Now, we were talking before about this book. Uh, Don, tell us, please, where can people find this work and find out more about you and actually order your book? Well, I have a website uh, that's uh, criticalbookspublications.com, and you can also reach that through a website called supremecourttyranny.com. It's uh, listed on Amazon, and uh, you can also find that Critical Books Publications on Facebook. All right, very good. Before the break, we were talking about what prompted you uh, to actually write this, and we were talking about some decisions. Uh, Kilo was one. Uh, I think that struck a nerve with everybody. Uh, Eminent domain is an important facet of the Constitution, and yet it's important who you have adjudicating that right. Uh, if you've got the wrong people with the wrong ideas, it can get out of control, and I think that may have been what a lot of us believe happened with Kilo. Uh, but we all complain about a lot of things, especially court cases. Um, the country, in my opinion, has just never been as divided as we are now, short of shooting at each other like in the Civil War. Uh, did you have a particular purpose? To, is there something that you were hoping to change by writing this book? Yes, I think we should change the Supreme Court. And uh, at the end of my book, I suggest uh, several changes that I think people might be interested in. And again, it's to start a conversation in terms of whether this needs to be done. Uh, two of those, just to give uh, people an idea, is that there should not be a litmus test as some have said, needs to be there other than for the potential appointees to promise and swear that they will follow the Constitution. Now, it sounds a little odd because, of course, they take an oath to do that, but maybe we should add to the oath and not interpret it other than in the manner in which those who drafted it would have interpreted it at the time that it was drafted and rather have it amended through Article 5 because the reason for that is simple. Amendment through Article 5 comes from representatives of us, the people. If we think it's important enough to have three-quarters of the states suggest to Congress that something should be amended in the Constitution, then it can come about. Why, for example, uh, was it more important to have the ability for 18-year-olds to vote an amendment to the Constitution, but it wasn't important enough for abortion to have to be an amendment to the Constitution, and it could be done by interpretation by the court? It's much easier to go in front of the court. I've been there. I argued the U.S. Supreme Court case in 1976, and uh, it's much easier to try and only convince five people that something is correct than it is to try and convince all of the 50 states to propose something as an amendment. Oh, yeah. You know, I have a rather naive concept of the way the law should actually function, and, and you somewhat alluded to that in the expectation that the justices would all honor their oath to defend the Constitution, which is pretty clear. But the basic way that we practice law, <clears throat> and forgive me for this, but I'm, this is my concept, lawyers don't work together. Lawyers prosecute one side or the other. We've got defense attorneys and prosecuting uh, 
attorneys. So they skillfully present the cases by leaving out facts that would help the other side. And if everybody really had their ethics in line, lawyers on both sides would work together to try to find the ultimate truth. But that's not the way we do it. We we have it's it's almost like the oath was I will seek ways to circumvent the law and the constitution to benefit the client who's paying me. Well, actually, Doug, it's much more complicated <laughs> than that. Uh, and the reason I said it was I, naive. It, well, it isn't naive, but uh, you know, and I hate to say it this way, but it's sort of like uh, what we're talking about in terms of the constitution. The checks and balances of government. Um, civics isn't really taught today in the manner in which I believe it should be in terms of people understanding that there are checks and balances, how those should occur, uh, what it results in if you don't have them, for example. Same thing is true with what you said about practicing law. Lawyers believe that the best decision will come from an objective fact finder, judge, or jury being presented with the evidence by equally well-versed advocates on both sides. Now, what interferes with that, and this is another one of the bones that I could pick at a different time, are what are called the rules of evidence. Those are designed by the courts. They're not designed by the lawyers. The courts are the ones that say, well, Mr. Prosecutor, you could present this evidence and it would show the guilt of the defendant. However, I think it casts more heat than light. So for that reason, I'm not going to let you present it. Well, what in the heck does that mean? Well, it usually means that if you present the evidence, the jury won't hesitate to convict the defendant and the judge doesn't want that evidence presented. The judge has all kinds of control over the situation as opposed to a fair hearing of all of the truth. I think, and I think this is a serious charge, but I think it's true, that judges get into a position in which they think that we are basically children who can't handle things and sort them out to decide how to apply them appropriately. So they exclude them. And they say, you can't hear this. That's ridiculous. Uh, everything should be presented, and then the jury should be warned that, you know, this may not be something, for example, the background, the history of the defendant, that should convict him or her automatically, but it's certainly something you should consider when you listen to all of the ed- evidence, and certainly when you judge the credibility of the witnesses. Well, that uh, I didn't mean to sound like I was steering you away from the subject, but actually that goes right all the way to the Supreme Court. The justices there are human beings, and they have that same parental desire. And, and as we all know, some parents want to be friends of their children, and others want to be disciplinarians. And so we have that automatic uh, balance there, I guess, uh, that comes from it. But, you know, that, that leads to decisions like we've had recently. Uh, is there a basic misunderstanding of the Constitution as you see it today? Well, yes, I think there certainly is because of the fact that uh, people don't understand that it's a document that wasn't meant to be a, quote, living document, end quote, as you indicated uh, in your introduction. In fact, uh, there are quotes in the book 
from people who formed the Constitution, Hamilton, Jefferson, etc., saying that there isn't one word in what's being proposed that would suggest that this document should be changed at the whim of the public because they've decided that we should move on from a principle that's in existence at this time. It was written to protect us from the government, to cause the government to not be able to do certain things. For example, no search and seizure unless there's probable cause and a search warrant for it. And when you talk about what I referred to earlier and what it results in Supreme Court decisions, the perfect one is the uh, search and seizure situation where we have the what's called the exclusionary rule, saying that, you know, the court said, oh, you must advise the defendant now in these words, and they quoted the words. I used to laugh at it as a prosecutor because their words were, you have to tell the suspect anything you say can and will be used against you. And I tell the police officers that I trained, now, maybe what they say will not be used against them. But if the Supreme Court tells you to say that, even though it's a lie to that person, you must say it. Otherwise, the evidence you obtain without saying that will be excluded. Well, the problem with the exclusionary rule, and Justice Warren Berger, who wrote the opinion citing the exclusionary rule and later admitting that he made a mistake, is that it punishes the public, not the defendant. We throw the evidence out because the constable blundered, as has been said many times. And that's a ridiculous rule, and it's a rule created by the Supreme Court. The way that we got to this point, the book itself, we don't want to we don't want to give the book away. We want people to look into it, order it, of course. But you've got this very well broken down. You've got chapters on uh, what did the founders actually have in mind with the Constitution uh, and, of course, setting up the court itself. And you back this up with uh, quotes and with cases and so forth that, that are relevant to that. You've got in here a chapter on how did we get to where we are today uh, and can the court create law. There's very interesting subjects that you line up in a, a progressive order for people to get the idea of what you're referring to in here. And uh, basically, uh, it, it's like you said, it's a misunderstanding of what was intended, what the Constitution and the Supreme Court are supposed to be as far as their function. A lot of it, um, kind of going in a different direction here a little bit, but the, the fair operation of this representative republic that we have relies on that Constitution. And we hear the word thrown around, democracy, quite a bit by media and politicians uh, real fast because we're up against a break, but is that word democracy, is that really helpful? Well, no, it's not helpful unless you're a Greek who existed uh, centuries ago because that's the only democracy that ever existed on the face of the earth unless you're talking about something that's uh, being passed uh, by the public in a direct vote. We have a representative form of government, not a democracy. We elect representatives, and they pass the laws. That's so often misunderstood, um, and I want to get back to that. But before we go on this break, tell the folks again where they can find this book and more information about you. The website is criticalbookspublications, one word, dot com. 
or Supreme Court Tyranny, one word, dot com, on Amazon, and also there's some information on Facebook under the critical. All right. Facebook. Our guest this morning is Donald C. Brockett. We're talking about his book, The Tyrannical Rule of the U.S. Supreme Court, How the Court Has Violated the Constitution. And we're going to be back with more after these messages. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. It's not just your garden. It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow with Bonnie. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the prologue. We're here this morning with Donald C. Brockett. He is a retired attorney from Spokane, Washington. His book is titled The Tyrannical Rule of the U.S. Supreme Court, How the Court Has Violated the Constitution. Uh, Part of the problem, as we were talking before the break, is the public's fascination and idea of democracy. Why is that idea so palatable? to people? Why do they prefer to think that's what we are? Well, because then they can participate in it directly instead of through a representative. And the way things are working today, um, I think a lot of us think that our representatives are not really representing us in the manner in which we'd like them to. So we, uh, you know, that's why I think we have more initiatives and referendums in states because that is a democracy when the people vote directly on something. I think if people understood that uh, the real definition of democracy would be four wolves and a sheep voting what's for dinner tonight. And that truly is the case. There'd be a lot of things people would not enjoy at all if we were a true democracy. And yet, uh, don't you think that the way we operate, the way some of our elected representatives allow people to believe until they need to pull the string on them. Colorado, I don't want to date the program, but the uh, primary situation in Colorado, rules were there. Uh, We're a representative republic in the rules of how that selection process were in place, and yet they allowed many, many people to have the misunderstanding that their vote selected the candidate 
And then when it wasn't going to go their way, they pulled the rules out. Things like that aren't very helpful either, are they? Well, no, because uh, what people don't understand is that the reason that a democracy is dangerous, as you pointed out so well in your example, is that it can result in mob rule. And that was the reason that our founders thought we needed a representative government. By the way, the most important branch of the three branches of the government is supposed to be Congress, because it is the representative of the people. And it theoretically is putting into effect through the law those things that we want through our representatives. The president is merely there to carry out the law enacted by the Congress, and the court is merely there to interpret those laws to see if they are in line with constitutional principles, not create phrases and words in the Constitution itself that say it's okay to do it. And one of the cases we've talked about uh, before in this show, the Obamacare case, is a perfect example of that, where we were assured by our representatives as the uh, bill was being decided, although it was a little uh, ironic that we were told they were going to read it after they passed it, uh, we were told that it wasn't a tax. And it, but it went before the Supreme Court on the issue of whether or not the government could force somebody to buy a particular brand of insurance, the court simply sidestepped and went over on the other foot and said, oh, this is just a tax, and that's not a problem because Congress has the ability to pass a tax, even though they forgot to read the provision that says the tax has to start in the House of Representatives as opposed to the Senate. And, uh, you know, they just kind of do whatever they want to do. Now, my problem is people have to wake up, and if those representatives continue to act that way, they need to replace them. They need to say to them, you may have been there a long time, maybe you've done a good job for that period of time, but we need somebody new when you've forgotten that you represent us. It's very true. In fact, the three branches that were established uh, by the Founding Fathers, legislative, executive, and judicial, if, if people could really stop and think, all of those branches are being operated completely different than what they were set up to. The judicial was never supposed to create law, and they do that every day. The legislation is supposed to do the creation of law, but they're afraid to. They sidestep things, like you said, all the time. And the executive has assumed powers that were not ever given to him. So, you know, these roles are completely upside down. I guess the next question is, a people, should we question the government? Should we question the decisions by the court, or, or do we just accept them? Well, it depends on what kind of a society we want to live in. Uh, if we want to be told everything, like people are who are in jail or in prison, uh, line up here, open the doors now, you can go eat now, you can go outside and have fresh air now, then I suppose all of us will be very happy. If we want to be independent, if we want to be free, as our founders wanted to be from England when they broke away from it in a revolution, then we definitely need to question our government. Our government is ours. I always get a kick out of this when uh, when people question 
something that a government official has done. Well, yes, we pay them. They're supposed to be doing the job we pay them for. But uh, unfortunately, what happens a lot of times, uh, like with a police officer, is you give them a gun and a badge, and they run with it instead of uh, using proper procedures and policing a free society. They decide they're in charge of society. The reason, Doug, again, that, that I wrote this book was I don't think people understand. We don't have three branches of government anymore. We have one. That's the U.S. Supreme Court. It's a complete tyranny. It has taken over the United States government by its rulings. And if you disagree with this, whether you're liberal or conservative, I dare you to read the book, criticize it, and find some other solution or some other proposal. Very good suggestion. I want to ask you, you lay everything in. out very neatly, and uh, it, it's, it's very understandable, and yet it's technical. Do you think that the discussions in the book may be a little too technical for some of our citizens and may be a little too hard to understand? Sure, because they haven't been taught properly to understand what is being written about. I find it strange that in 1776, when they were writing the Federalist Papers, and in years after that, to uh, convince people to adopt the Constitution, apparently the people were so well-read and understood things well enough that it wasn't too technical for them to read those documents and decide that the Constitution should be adopted. So is it our educational system that's dumbed us down, or is it the fact that too many have their noses in their phones and their iPhones and are more concerned about tweeting each other and they are about uh, what's going on around them and what's controlling them. It's amazing to me how people have no idea at all about the original concept of uh, the, the Congress, for instance. The representatives initially were pretty well forced at the point of guns, in many cases, to go serve their two years. And their neighbors were, you know, told them, we'll take care of your farm and your family for you, but it's your turn. you got to go do this. The president was elected from within that body. Uh, it was basically what we know today as the Speaker of the House. The Senate was essentially set up to represent the governors in the states. It wasn't to be a, a popularity contest that it is today. So there, there's a lot that we've just completely gotten away from uh, on all of the branches of government, and we've allowed uh, these people in the court to just really sit there and make things up as they go along. Do you see, uh, you know, like you said earlier, Article 5 allows for amendments, but too often the court today sidesteps that with vague interpretations. Um, do you see those as breach of their oath? Well, certainly they are, because uh, what the court should be saying in many of those cases is that if the public desires to change the Constitution, then they can certainly do it through Article 5 in the amendment process. We are not going to do it because we are the court. We don't have the authority to do that, and therefore we will not rule that there is something created called uh, 
a right to privacy or a right to dignity or the many other phrases that have been created by the court over the years. It should have been done through the amendment process. Talk a little bit, please, about the doctrine of incorporation. The doctrine of incorporation is a really interesting one, but very, very confusing, I think, even to lawyers. And uh, I hate to say it this way, but I think that's purposeful. I think the court has created the confusion in order to do its own bidding. In 1866, believe it or not, people may not know this historical, there was a Civil Rights Act. That Civil Rights Act came about because the African Americans who had been freed as slaves had served for our country in the Civil War in the Union Army. And when they returned to their southern states, their weapons were taken away from them. So Congress said, that's ridiculous. They serve their country well. They're entitled to keep their weapons. Uh, The Constitution gives them the right to possess weapons. And therefore, uh, we should give them that ability. And they passed the Civil Rights Act. Well, Congress realized that the congressmen come and go. They're unelected or they retire. So that was the result of the 14th Amendment. My view is the 14th Amendment was only passed to put into effect as an amendment the Bill of Rights of 1866, and it should only apply to those things which were due process, privileges, and immunities for freed African Americans at that time. Now, what the court's done is incorporated them into all of the Bill of Rights and applied them to states, and to cities, and to municipalities, which I think is totally unconstitutional. The court should never have done that. They created the doctrine in order to do it, and as a result of that, we no longer have rules closest to us by the representatives we elect in our cities and counties and states that we can rely on. States were meant to be different. That's the way the United States came about. They only formed the federal government to do things like protect us against foreign invaders, have the ability to bring about uh, cohesion between the states. And that's what privileges and immunities meant. The African-Americans who had been freed now had the privileges and immunities of all of the white citizens at that time in the 1866 and in the amendment. And what you're saying is it wasn't not only unnecessary, but it opened the door for many future misrepresentations of other amendments that were already in place. Uh, I'm going to let you answer that when we get back from this last break. We're here this morning with Donald C. Brockett. The book is The Tyrannical Rule of the U.S. Supreme Court, How the Court Has Violated the Constitution. And we're going to be back with more after these messages. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. 
on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to America's AmericasWebRadio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back. We're here this morning on the prologue on America's Web Radio. Our guest is the Honorable Donald C. Brockett. His book, The Tyrannical Rule of the U.S. Supreme Court, How the Court Has Violated the Constitution. We've been uh, covering some specifics on this. Something I want to go to real quick, because we're really getting low on time. There's a lot we still need to cover. But there's a term out there, supreme law of the land. Uh, that, that's misinterpreted a lot. Is the Supreme Court and its rulings, is that the supreme, uncontestable law of the land? No, it's not. And uh, all anybody has to do is pick up the Constitution and find that out. Because it's clearly stated in Article 6 that the Constitution, the laws of the United States, which, of course, are those made by Congress, and treaties are the only things that are the supreme law of the land. And I think, as I pointed out previously, uh, uh, the Supreme Court doesn't have any enforcement arm. We right. all believe in it, and we follow the decisions because we think we should. But uh, there are supposed to be checks and balances, and we had a president once who told the Supreme Court, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to enforce your ruling. You have a chapter about the Second Amendment, and it's fascinating. You apply this question to that amendment, and yet really it should apply to the entire document. Your chapter starts with a subheading of, what is the confusion? You know, that amendment is very clear. Uh, The entire Constitution is not that big. Everything about it is fairly clear. Uh, Shouldn't people, uh, like there was some years ago, carry a little copy with them and read it and get to know it? Well, it would certainly be nice if they did, because then they'd start raising some of the questions I hope I've raised in my book. 
the Second Amendment is very clear in saying that we have the right to possess weapons. And many would be surprised by what I say in my book, that, uh, in effect, the reason for that was that you had a right to be called together as a militia, not necessarily an organized militia at all times, but at the time that we revolted against England, that was every able-bodied man, and they brought their weapons with them, called together as a militia to fight against the government. Uh, what people don't understand is if you didn't have a Second Amendment, the governor of your state couldn't call upon you to join the militia or the National Guard of your state to fight an invasion from the federal government. Now, some say, oh, that's preposterous, that would never happen here. Oh, is that right? Well, it's happened in other parts of the world. Take a look. Don't put your blinders on. The other thing that uh, I think is fascinating is nobody that I've talked to can tell me what the Third Amendment is. They've forgotten it. Well, the Third Amendment says that people uh, cannot have soldiers quartered in their homes without their permission. Well, would you mind telling me how you would keep them out of your home if you don't have a right to possess weapons in order to defend your home from the government uh, military people? And by the way... I'm not attacking the military. I want to, as you did at the beginning of the show, thank all of those out there who are in the military because they are defending our Constitution, or better yet, the principles that the Constitution stands for. Oh, absolutely. That's kind of a squared circle. If the government is the entity that is ordering the troops into your home, and if you didn't have a weapon, who would you go to to uh, for relief? You'd go to the government, and they're the ones that are uh, instituting it. So it's kind of silly in the first place. The idea of the Second Amendment was to protect yourself from your government. A lot of people don't like that. They don't like the idea or the sound of it. But that is the basic reason for the Second Amendment is the citizens to protect themselves from a tyrannical government. Um, and, we, we and want, by, wait, I'm sorry. Go. And, sorry, Doug, but by the way, you need to no, add no. to that that, uh, that the reason for that uh, was that governments historically in civilizations are the ones that have taken over the people. Oh, yeah, absolutely, every time. Um, want to talk about the, the, the court... itself. Uh, we mentioned a little earlier, and you've got one of your suggestions about how court justices are selected. The death recently of Antonin Scalia <clears throat> is uh, tragic on many, many levels, but uh, this is something that has affected the court and drawn attention to it once again. Uh, there are many sides drawn over what is constitutional, what is the role of the president, what is the role of the Congress, and uh, of course both sides are, are kind of stretching the truth into what's supposed to be done here. Talk to us a little bit about it, and talk to us about the effects that his death has had on the constitutional process. Well, one of the effects has been shown recently in a case uh, in which the court couldn't agree, so they were split four to four, which means that the lower court decision was the one that was binding. So uh, that important case, had to do with uh, whether or not people who are not in a union could be forced to pay an amount appropriate for the, quote, representation, end quote, of the union, even though they weren't in it, uh, upheld the union's position. 
that should have been decided by the Supreme Court and wasn't as a result of the unfortunate and untimely death of uh, Justice Scalia. Um, I think uh, people have said, well, don't we need to appoint somebody uh, right away? And uh, I'm of the opinion that we don't, that uh, it's better to wait. We're in the midst of a presidential selection process. The new president should be entitled to pick, as the present president and vice president suggested at the time that Justice Alito was being proposed to be on the court. They took an opposite position to the position they take today. <clears throat> Excuse me. Obviously, for political reasons, the the court needs to be balanced, and better yet, I think it needs to be representative of the country. As one of the dissenting justices pointed out in the same-sex marriage case, the court is made up entirely of lawyers from the East Coast who have gone to Ivy League schools, other than Justice Kennedy from California, who the justice writing the opinion opinion said that doesn't really count. So I propose that we have um, areas of the country that we have panels in that select individuals from within those areas, and those people are proposed for appointment. And perhaps we need somebody to appoint other than a president to make it totally non-politically that the president isn't simply stacking the court as he or she wants to to carry out their particular proclivities and what they think the government should consist of. Real quick, another naive question along those lines. Uh, Scalia was known as an original intent justice. Uh, Isn't that really the definition of constitutional? when you say that he was interested in the original intent, and to follow that, would not anyone who went against the original intent be violating their oath? Well, that's that's up for discussion, obviously, and one of the reasons I hope people will read this book so that it will pique their interest and they'll want to look into it further. Uh, how do you interpret something, for example? If you're given the job as a United States Supreme Court justice to interpret the law, what does that mean? Does that mean you're entitled to vote on what it should mean as applied today, which many of the cases, of course, as you know, have said that. That while well, society's moved on and society's different and it needs to be looked at differently, so this word should mean something different than what it meant uh, in the beginning. Justice Scalia, I think, came up with the, uh, with the best idea when he was interviewed one time and he was asked that, and he said, you know, words mean something. Uh, people don't write words down because they don't have a meaning. Now, maybe you need to explain to them what you think the meaning is compared to what they think the meaning might be. But they mean something, and therefore we should stick to their meaning. And his question was, for those who have decided to interpret that word differently, how did they decide they have the authority to do that? Oh, yeah. Why is that appropriate? Now, in your book, sir, you catalog uh, what's gone wrong and how we are, how we've gotten to where we are, but you also, and we're not going to go into these, but you mentioned it earlier, you propose certain changes that would head us in the path of correcting these faults. 
Um, you're very specific about these changes. You detail them. And we want the folks out there to order the book and read this to find out what it is exactly that you're talking about. But uh, you list, oh, goodness, five specific changes that would help us get back on the right path. And we urge people to read the book and pay attention to those particular proposals that you have. Is there anything that we've left out before we close this morning, sir? I think we've covered it very well, Doug, and I really appreciate the opportunity to explain to people that this is not an attack on government. This is an effort to raise the issues and challenge people to determine what kind of government they want. Do they want to be ruled only by rulings of the United States Supreme Court, or do they want to have a hand in it by suggesting to their representatives what should occur in terms of the laws that are passed? Folks, the book is The Tyrannical Rule of the U.S. Supreme Court, How the Court Has Violated the Constitution. The author, Donald C. Brockett, you can find out more about him. Tell us the website again, sir. Uh, criticalbookspublications.com. Uh, it's also on Amazon, and you can find information under that uh, title on Facebook. Also. Very good. Sir, we thank you so much for being here, bringing us this information. Folks, it's been a pleasure to have Don on this morning. I hope that you're interested in this book. I want you to get out there and look it up, find his website, go to Amazon, Google his name. You'll be amazed at his credentials. Also would like you to take time to tell your friends about this show and the others and how they can listen to the free podcasts. And let me just say right now, I appreciate his presence on the program. The Constitution is the document that we all live by, and everyone should learn about it, whether you agree with the concepts or not. We want you to study about it and then make sure that you're on the right path. Again, for this hour, my many thanks go to Donald C. Brockett. For myself and our guest, I want to say please be good to yourselves and each other. Read a book. If it's not Don Brockett's book, maybe you'll read one of mine. And we'll see you all again in just 167 hours. Take care. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.